Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 3. Um, a few things before we get started. I, you got to understand that when the preacher prepares for a, a sermon, he uh, lives and breathes the text. And when he has two weeks to deal with the text, uh, you end up having two hours of a sermon, okay? <laughs> so I want you to be patient with me. I'll edit on my fee as, as much as I can, but we're dealing with a pretty important topic that I, I think that is, is important for us to understand in light of how Mark brings it. And so the title of today's sermon is Understanding the Unpardonable Sin. Understanding the Unpardonable Sin. Let me begin by reading our, our passage, just a, a short amount of verses, three to be exact. Starting in verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of a, an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let us pray. Father, we we go to your word with great joy, desiring for the Spirit to teach us here this morning. Much has been said about this, this, this topic. A lot of misunderstanding surrounds it. And yet we know that you have given us your word in context. You have given us understanding to be able to dig through your scriptures and, and totally understand exactly what our Lord is saying here. And so I pray, Spirit, that you will have your way with our understanding. May we see it. May we understand it. May we receive it and believe it. Be with your shepherd as he desires to, to preach clearly, to honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we dive back to in our verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the Gospel of Mark. If you've been here with us, you know that we've been going through this Gospel verse-by-verse -verse with a desire to see the, the Scriptures unfold for us. It has been a few weeks since we last been in the Gospel of Mark due to other situations and circumstances. But if you remember three weeks ago, I told you I wanted to go deeper into this whole understanding of the unpardonable sin. And I want us to study this passage in, 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 a, in a more focused way. Of course, this issue of the unpardonable sin, and many have, have proposed their ideas, exactly what it's about. 
And hopefully your ears, when you hear such a topic like the unpardonable sin, they start to perk up. For most of us, this phrase strikes fear in our hearts. And frankly, in light of the context that Jesus says these words, they are intended to strike fear. They are intended to be a warning to those whom he is preaching to, that he is discussing with. They are to grab the hearts of those who play fast and loose with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so to some reality, we we come with great seriousness, right? We come with an understanding of, of Jesus bringing a rebuke in context, of course, to the scribes who have just called him the son of Satan. All this plays well for us. And those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit... There is an eternal unforgiveness for their lives. According to verse 29, if you jot your eyes there, it says it is an eternal sin, which means that there will never be forgiveness for this sin, not in this age or the age to come. And so this is sobering truth to consider and one that captures our attention this morning. And naturally, several questions arise when we examine this truth, that there is a sin that once committed will never be forgiven and will condemn one to eternal hell. And so we'll examine this sin. We'll examine such questions like, what is this sin that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit? Who can commit this sin? Can a Christian commit this sin? Why is it an eternal sin And how should we be warned today? And so it is with great seriousness and gravity and the heaviness of heart that this truth grabs our attention and we desire to understand it. Because when God says you commit the sins, you won't be forgiven. For eternity means just that. It's unpardonable. When we think about God and his justice, we think about God and his his verdict, We know that his righteous judgment will stand and nothing will overturn it. God is never neutral when dealing with sin. You understand that, right? He either forgives it or he punishes it. Now, what is of great importance with any text in the Bible is that we must understand context, right? What our way forward, often with difficult texts, is that text that we try to figure out what's going on. Context is king. And such is the case. Every time you go to the scriptures, you want to read around the text. You want to understand the scenario. Why? Because God has given his word in context. So we as Bible students would extract this truth in light of that context. Not to do so you play fast and loose with the scriptures and you come up with a a theology that that will trip you up. And by the way, what often happens is that Bible teachers will will take out of context and insert their theology. In such a case, this becomes a great violation of God's holy word. So what is the context? The context that Jesus gives us in this passage so that we can find its meaning and understanding. Remember, Mark picks up his gospel by recording for us 
the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is exactly what the Gospels do in their own flavor, according to the inspiration of the Scriptures, or, or of God, written out. And Mark picks up this Gospel by recording for us the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this is going into year two of his ministry. Of course, everything is headed to the cross, we understand that. The resurrection, the ascension of our Lord, everything is heading that way. Jesus has gained traction amongst the people. The people can't leave him alone. Of course, there is reason for such popularity, and that's because Jesus is putting his divine miracle, his touch, his power on display. He is healing many and casting out demons. He's also up to this point chosen 12. 12 disciples that will be special to him. Of course, one of them is going to be a traitor. He is preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in him. The message is clear. The Messiah has come. The anointed one has come, and he's calling people to repent and believe. He's showing with not only his words, but his action, that he is the anointed one, that he is divine. But there's also in the midst of this, where the crowds have been gathering, it's also been a time of great pushback, has it not? The religious leaders of the day don't like what Jesus is doing. The scribes, the Pharisees were often trying to catch Jesus in some sort of sin so that they can discredit him and his ministry. They were eyewitnesses of all the divine miracles of Jesus, but their hearts were hardened to him. So leading up to our passage in verse 28, the scribes who were part of the Pharisees who interpreted the law for the people made their interpretation of Jesus. They are going to come and bring a, 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 an understanding what they see in light of what Jesus has been doing. And this is their conclusion. Look at verse 22. They say this, the scribes, which by the way, remember they are the ones who interpret the law. They are part of the Pharisee within trying to help them understand. They come with this interpretation. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he, speaking about Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebub and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. That's their conclusion. That's their conclusion. And in making such a statement, they, they pretty much say two things. One, after experiencing with their, their own eyes the demonstration of the divine power of Jesus Christ in healing and doing miracle after miracle, their conclusion is that he is possessed. He's demon-possessed. And two, they say that Jesus is working with hell, with Satan, and desiring to promote its purposes. Notice that they didn't, and we looked at this when we studied this, notice they don't dispute the miracles and the power of Jesus. They don't dismiss the power of Christ. Their conclusion is that he must be, however, even though he has this power, must be working with Satan. Why? Because according to their law, Jesus is violating. Remember, he's healing on the Sabbath. The disciples are, are, are eating grain on the Sabbath. 
He's sitting with sinners and having a meal with sinners. And so their conclusion was that he must be working with Satan. And so because they couldn't do anything with the results of the power of Christ, what do they do? And this is typical, right? We see this in our day and age. If you don't like the message, you go after the messenger, right? This is exactly what they do. When people or the world don't like the truth that you are proclaiming, they in turn don't do anything with what you are saying, but they go after your character, hoping to discredit what you are saying by removing the person. Their thoughts are that if we discredit the messenger, then this will in turn bring down the message. It is, of course, a deflection of the truth. course, they're trying to find an explanation of what this Messiah is doing. And it is in that response, in that context, that the Pharisees defame Christ in his character. It is their conclusion that Jesus is in arms with Satan, and that Jesus, the sinless one, the Messiah, in turn, gives a warning, a rebuke. That's key. That's our context. This tension that mounts and mounts and mounts, the pushback against one another, comes to head. And in the midst of the religious leader's harsh judgment and criticism, we see the overarching characteristic of the sin that can never be forgiven. We see in the midst of all this, in the midst of this pushback, the unpardonable sin. And if there ever was a warning that would compel us to run from sin and fear with fear and trembling and flee to Christ in faith, it would be this. This whole issue of getting right with Christ. So what do we learn about the unpardonable sin? I've given you three bullet points and what you can hang truth on in your outline, uh, in your bulletin. And at first I want to look at the forgivable sins in verse 28. He starts out with the reality of what Christ has come to do. Look at verse 28. He says, truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. It was interesting. I was asking my daughter this very question this week. I said, you know, what is the unpardonable sin? And of course, it's kind of an unfair question. My daughter kind of looking at me, well, aren't all sins forgiven in Christ Jesus? I said, yes, they are. But there is one sin that isn't. Do you have an idea? And we talked a lot about that. And coming to an understanding, of course, I gave her the sermon before the sermon. And trying to help her understand clearly what is going on here. Jesus comes right out of the chute here. He says, truly I say to you, and anytime you see the word truly, it means amen. Jesus is agreeing with what he's going to say and confirming it as truth before he even says it. And when you see truly, truly, he's giving double emphasis to the whole reality that this is true. And so he's speaking with divine authority here. He's putting his divine approval on what he is about to say. But this is in contrast, right? When the rabbis spoke, they often quoted or they pointed to somebody else's authority. But when Jesus spoke, he often spoke with divine authority. He is divine authority. 
They spoke on borrowed authority. Jesus spoke on divine authority. And what he is saying in verse 28 is setting up a contrast of sins that are forgivable with the one sin that is unforgivable in verse 29 and 30. It's interesting to me, and Luke, in his gospel, said it this way in a parallel passage. In Luke 12.10, Jesus says there, Luke records him as saying, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. You notice the difference there? If you look at that verse on the screen, you'll see that, that every sin against the Son of Man, every sin against Jesus is forgivable. But he also emphasized the fact the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. I think it's important to understand this word blasphemy. Blasphemy is showing disrespect to God. It's a willful disrespect to God. It's verbal in nature. It can either be spoken or written. But it is a direct attack against the holiness and the righteousness and the character of God. It often means that somebody is mocking God when they blaspheme against him. It is the desecration of, of the holy character of God. It's, it's putting his holy character through the mud. And in a sense, for us as Christians, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of praise. You think about all that. You think about what's going on there. When we praise God, we stole the characteristics of God. And when somebody blasphemes God, they are throwing dirt upon the holy character of God. Of course, its intention is to defile God and to not make much of him. And Jesus says, such sins against him, according to Mark 3.28 and Luke 12.10, are forgivable. Now, this seems odd, right? I mean, isn't Jesus God himself? He is, right? But if you understand the nature and the role in which Christ has come, he's come to what? To, to grant forgiveness. You think about Christ hanging on the cross. Jesus looked at those who had delivered him over to the Romans, and, and he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's interesting to me, in the midst of the forgiveness and the kindness of our Lord, that he's even allowing the Roman soldiers who, who, who spat upon him and, and beat him and put him on the cross, that there is going to be the chance for forgiveness for them. And even though these men opposed Christ to the point of executing him, there was still hope for forgiveness. I think of this also in the, in the book of Acts when Peter stands up in Acts chapter 3, and he's delivering. You got Pentecost. Jesus ascends in chapter 1. You got the Pentecost Holy Spirit dwelling upon believers in chapter 2. And here in chapter 3, Peter begins to preach. And he, and he states that. He says in Acts 3.17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your hearts, or just as your rulers did so. And then he calls them to repent. He understands he, that there's grace for that. As long as you repent and come to Christ. And so on at least two occasions we see in the scriptures, the New Testament makes it clear that forgiveness was possible for those who even despise Christ. But not so against the Holy Spirit. 
Those accounts verify Jesus' claim that any sin against the Son of Man will and can be forgiven. But what about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? This is where we move back to Mark chapter 3 and in verses 29 and 30. Look at those verses again with me. It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Why? And verse 30 answers why, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Jesus starts out these verses with a contrast word, but, and he draws us to the one unpardonable sin. If you see it there in verse 29, it's whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Why? Because they say that he is demon-possessed. Verse 30. The unpardonable sin, and now get this, is the willful and final rejection of the Holy Spirit who is working through Jesus by attributing God's work to Christ and in turn taking all that they see and applying it and saying, you know what, that is from Satan. Let me repeat it. The unpardonable sin is a willful rejection of the Holy Spirit that when Christ has been displayed. And instead of attributing to God himself and all that you've seen and not concluding that Jesus is the Messiah, but in other words, saying that he is the son of Satan, that is the unpardonable sin. In essence, they're saying that Jesus Christ is not Lord. In essence, they're saying Jesus Christ is not Savior to willfully and utter suppress God's truth and ignore the truth of Jesus Christ when the gospel was preached and continue in rejection by not responding to the message preached and with continual, willfully, utter suppression of the truth, that becomes a point where it's unpardonable. And by the way, this is exactly what the religious leaders were doing. They got to the point where they saw the work of God, they saw the hand of God, and with their own eyes, they walked away saying, oh, he must be the son of Satan. Instead of seeing the truth, believing the truth, receiving the truth, they rejected it. I mean, beloved, this, this sin is more than making an offhand statement against Jesus. I bet all of us were at one point a mockers of Jesus Christ before we came to know him as Lord and Savior. But there's a big difference between one who is so hardened against the gospel, so hardened against the truth, that they come point, and by the way, I don't know when that point is, but Jesus does. The Spirit knows. But in the hardness of their rejection, there comes a point where there is going to be a place where they are too far gone. And what they, oh, they may hear the gospel, but it doesn't land on their heart. There comes a place where their heart is so hardened in their denial that they reject the Holy Spirit's work in Christ's life. When you think about it, after seeing firsthand what the Lord had done, 
hearing all that he has, has said. I mean, he, he healed the paralytic. He, he, he healed the, the withered hand. He healed, healed lepers, right? He healed all these people right in front of their eyes. And they said, no, that must be from Satan. Must be satanic. Such determined rejection can and will not be pardoned. By the way, I think this is the sin that is spoken about in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. Matter of fact, once you tune forward to that, I just want you to see this. There's much debate exactly where these, these texts lie. If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it is, is a, a book with an unknown author that is displaying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. But turn to Hebrews 6 for a second here. These are denials of Christ. I think these are evangelistic messages. They are, they are in turn trying to get the, the individual, instead of just being around Christ and Christianity and coming all the way to Christ, we pick it up in verse 4 of Hebrews 6. It reads there, the writer says this, for in the case of those who have been enlightened... These are the ones who have heard the gospel. These are the ones who have been around church. These are the ones who hear clearly a message preached. They have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And verse 6 says, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, brings forth vegetation useful to those for his or for whose sake is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Pretty interesting. I mean, this is, like I say, much disputed. What, what is this? Believers? Is it unbelievers? If you think about what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's much like in a church service where he knows that there are believers in Christ there. He knows that there are rejectors of Christ. There's people who, who are violently against Christ. And he also understands that there are people who are in between. People who have been around Christianity. Listen, there's a big difference between tasting and twisting, tasting and swallowing. Is there not? Oh, I can taste a steak. But when I eat it and swallow it, I understand the goodness of the steak. Why do I say there's, there's a contrast? Why do I say he's speaking to, to unbelievers there? Look at verse 9. He gives this contrast. Verse 9 says, but, again, a contrast. But, beloved, an endearing term, we are convinced of better things concerning you. There's a distinction. You think Paul, or, well, Paul, I'm going to say the writer of Hebrews, most people think it is Paul. We don't know that for sure. But the writer, in essence, why wouldn't he add that beloved at the beginning of all that? But there comes a point within hearing and being enlightened and being around the gospel that they, and they tasted what 
the good word has to offer. They've seen the transformation in people's lives, and then they have fallen away. There comes a point where it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Turn forward to Hebrews chapter 10. You'll see this other warning there. I think it's pretty interesting. Verse 26, just a handful of verses there. Listen to what the writer says there. He says in verse 26 of Hebrews 10, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. This is talking about head knowledge, right? This is not about transformation. There are no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he who he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Being around the gospel. The apartable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ in his truth. Jesus clearly says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, where he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you pieces. How precious is the gospel that we preach and believe? That we have received it in such a way that it's transformed our lives. This precious gospel that amongst these, un, these people who reject Christ, they just literally trample the holiness of what it brings. And what's interesting, go back to Mark chapter 3. What's interesting is this is it's not a one-time event. You just can't say, you know what, I reject Jesus Christ, thus the unpardonable sin comes your way. This has been building up to this point. You think about the constant rejection and the pushback from the scribes and the Pharisees. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 5 and 7. I mean, this, this is just, here's their hearts. And Jesus, seeing their faith, speaking about those who, who brought down the paralytic from the roof, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're acting like they are judge and jury. Who is this guy who says, Sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. And they attach by saying this word blaspheming, that Jesus is blaspheming God. Really? They were building a mounting rejection against the truth of God. I mean, it's all throughout these chapters. You think about verse 15 and 17 where it says there, 
and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners of tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Questioning the hand of God, questioning the Messiah. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Denial after denial after denial. Passage after passage, they denied the Messiah. They, they denied the hand of God. All of it was on display for them. What more evidence did they need? They had a continual hardening against the hearts of Christ, so much so that they loved their law than the reality of what Christ was doing in healing people and changing people's lives. I mean, I think you get the point. A pardonable sin of, of, of rejection. Rejection after rejection leads to this hardening of heart where they willfully reject and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So what is our takeaway from this? I think there's much to be said here. Let me start with the most serious. I think it's important to understand that, that we live in a day and age in evangelicalism that, where people are playing fast and loose with the gospel. They are turning the gospel into a social gospel movement. Do you get that, beloved? They're, they're turning the gospel that calls out sinners to repent and believe in Christ. And they are making it that it's all about restitution. Making it right. Listen, there's only one that can make it right, and it is Jesus Christ. Your eyes should be on the horizon and what is around you with your friends that you're living with and they are being fed a bunch of gobbledygook trying to turn the power of the gospel into something that is not. I am of great concern and so should you be with your ears attuned to the reality. You can get the understanding of what the enemy is trying to do here, right? The enemy is trying to take away the power of the gospel. And the best way to do that is to change the message. Something that we hold on to. You understand the church rises and falls with the right biblical gospel. You understand that, right? Let me move away from that and just kind of get some more practical to you. Some have argued that the unpardonable sin is murder or adultery. Listen, if that was the case, David would not be saved. Some say it is the denial of Jesus Christ before men. I guess there goes Peter. Some also say that this was an unpardonable only in Jesus' day. And yet I meet people who constantly reject and have their hearts hardened when the gospel is preached. 
Listen, willful rejection continues even today. Where men, women's hearts are violent against Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I think we can surmise the reality of all this is that that all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, never embracing him and his truth, never coming to him in saving faith, will not be pardoned, right? I think we can make a, a common assertion that way, since forgiveness is only offered to those who repent and believe in this earthly life. There's no purgatory. There's no ability to get from hell to heaven. The reality is is that Jesus has given the gospel here for us to receive, for us to believe, and to take and have it transform our lives. Another takeaway is that true Christians cannot commit to sin. Why do I say that? Look to the screen, 1 John 5, 11, 12. It reads there, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And he who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son does not have the life. Who's the author of your salvation? Not alone, but God Himself, right? His ability to keep it there. Aren't you glad that He has the ability to keep it there? Because we mess it up a lot, don't we? Jesus saves you, he keeps you, you are his. And the true born-again believer would never reach this place of total rejection of Jesus Christ if they have truly received him as their Lord and Savior. I'll never forget the time I was invited over to a family's house early in the ministry here. They had a wayward son. He was loving life and the world. Yet he also, the problem was, is that he also loved, said he loved Jesus. And the discussion happened between father, pastor, and this young boy. And I was pleading him, do one or the other. Either repent and come all the way to Christ, or just reject Jesus. What's interesting to me, this young man understood that by rejecting Jesus, he understood that he would be outside of salvation. He says, I can't do that, Pastor. I said, then why? Why are you allowing sin to consume you? Don't you love your Lord more than your sin? His response, endearing as it may be, he says, sometimes. Sometimes I love Jesus more. I thought it was interesting. He never would get to the point where he says, I reject Christ. By the way, this young man is growing in his faith in Christ Jesus. I think he's tasted the world and realized it doesn't taste very good. And then finally, this warning is to those, and I think this is so important, this warning is to those who are in persistent unbelief. If you are sitting here and you're around the church, you're around the people, you love the people here, you can tolerate the pastor, but you love the people. Listen, you might be here this morning 
again, hearing about the centrality of the gospel to save you. Well, let me say this. With all endearness, with a shout of warning across your heart, you better be careful. You better be careful because your continual rejection of salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ will come to the point where this saving gospel will fall on deaf ears. Oh, I've, I've met people who said, you know what? I, I want to live a little bit before I come to Christ. Listen, you have no guarantees about tomorrow, do you? How foolish is it to think that the world has something greater to offer you? It doesn't. There will come a point as you continually reject where you will become numb to the gospel and will go just one ear out the other, never implanting itself in your soul. The exhortation is for you to come and to believe, to stop the games, to stop your foolishness, and come to the only one who can save you. He can save you from your rejection. He can save you from your sins to give you grace and get this, to give you his forgiveness. Put down your rejection and receive Christ. He's ready to forgive you, is he not? And the question is, will you repent and believe? Listen, your soul stake, it is at stake with that question eternity. Will you repent and believe? Why? Because if you die in this state of disbelief, in dying in your rejection, your sins will be just that. They will be your sins. You will be condemned. You will be going to hell. That's the simplicity. That's straightforward. That is the message. However, if by the grace of God, you stop fighting God and repent and turn to him, the storehouse of grace and mercy is yours. Hell is a reality. Christ is a reality. What will it be for you? Prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they will be like wool. 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. Come to Christ. Listen, I get it. Satan would like nothing more than for you to believe that the gospel is, is not truthful. Satan would love for the fact for you to think that there might be a better way somewhere else. Listen, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through what? Except through me. If you die in your sins without grace and mercy and forgiveness, 
you will never be forgiven. There's no second chances. There's no do-overs. That's why he has you here in, in, in hearing that you can understand the grace and the mercy that has transformed many of our lives in this room. I think it's dangerous. Every time you step into this church with your unbelief, you're going to hear a gospel. You're going to hear the gospel message. It is dangerous for you to hear it and then decide to walk away. And as that builds, it builds a callous upon your heart where you, in light and the understanding of where the Spirit draws and how He brings, it comes to a point where He let you go. I'm going to end with an illustration here. Don't be like the buzzard. Don't be like the buzzard that spotted a dead fish on a piece of floating ice in the river. He landed on that ice and began to eat. He knew it was dangerous because the falls were just ahead, but he knew his wings were strong and he could fly away right before going over. So he kept on eating. But just before the piece of ice tumbled over the falls, he spread his wings to fly, but because he waited too long, his feet were now frozen in the ice and there was no escape. Come to Christ. Receive his grace and mercy. Understand that he is and desires to give not only salvation, but forgiveness of your sins. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for your text this morning, clearly laid out in the context of the scriptures. Your rebuke in context against the scribes and the Pharisees as they continue to deny the reality and truth that you are the Messiah. Jesus, you brought a warning that still speaks even today. And for those who are, are watching and listening, those who are here, Father, there, there might be some who are still in willful rejection, denying the truth of the gospel. Oh, I think in their own hearts, they think that they, they are saved. Maybe they, they put their assurance on church membership or, or the fact that they even showed up today or the fact that they, you know what, they do some, some good things. Listen, the scriptures are very clear, Lord. You have given them to us. You have helped us understand that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And what you're asking for us is to turn from our sins and turn to the one who can save us from our sins. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. And may you continue to draw men, women, children unto yourself. For your glory and for your kingdom, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who has the power to save us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web 
at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.